section twenty one of the english restoration and louis the fourteenth by osmond airy this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter sixteen louis preparations for the invasion of the united provinces part two a new difficulty giving occasion for one of the most curious pieces of byplay in history now arose it was impossible to show the treaty as it stood to those servants of the king who were protestants to buckingham lauderdale bridgman trevor ashley ormond or rupert it was equally impossible to keep the secret long with buckingham's inordinate vanity however to play upon the matter was very simple he was allowed to negotiate in the belief that the suggestion was his own a fresh treaty led on by the flattery of louis and still more by the feigned hesitations of arlington and colbert while charles looked on with infinite amusement he laboured zealously in preparing a draft january sixteen seventy one differing from the original one in only two important respects all mention of the conversion was omitted the subsidy offered for that purpose being now added to that to be given for the war the opportunity was then taken to secure still further advantage to england goree and vorne were added to the places to be given her and the commander of the english land contingent was to take precedence of all the lieutenant-generals of france louis had his way on only one point the nearer that charles approached the question of catholicism the less agreeable grew the prospect he had indeed spoken confidently of his forces in scotland and ireland but they were composed of protestants and on this question would fail him at the pinch he had regarded this second treaty as a way out of the difficulty but louis insisted on a secret article unknown to buckingham that in this respect the first agreement should stand the ostensible treaty was then signed by buckingham lauderdale and ashley thus among all the immediate advisers of the crown there was not one who held his hand from this shameless abandonment of an alliance which england had herself sought the second treaty had fixed the spring of sixteen seventy two for the declaration of war strangely enough this was the doing not of louis but of charles he had now two reasons for desiring prompt action the advisability of settling both the war and the religious question before the next meeting of parliament was urged upon him by james and he happened through the success of his duplicity and through his abandonment of toleration to be in possession of ample funds on october twenty fourth sixteen seventy he had opened parliament with a speech in which he had carried deception to the furthest point short of absolute falsehood the reputation he had acquired by the triple alliance and the commercial treaties with spain france denmark and savoy was magnified in a word so ran the speech almost all the princes of europe do seek his majesty's friendship as acknowledging they cannot secure much less improve their present condition without it the necessity of raising the navy to proportions which might challenge the daily increasing armaments of france and the dutch was dwelt upon not a hint was dropped that the bonds of the triple alliance were likely to be relaxed the first of temple's treaties indeed which bound england and the republic to mutual assistance in case of attack was specially mentioned 
thoroughly deceived the commons answered the king's demand for still a further supply by a vote of no less than eight hundred thousand pounds the importance of the treaty of dover can scarcely be overrated in spite of the advantages charles had extorted louis was the real gainer charles had entered upon a course which becoming more and more one of subservience to france placed it henceforth in the power of louis to neutralize the influence of english opinion and even to enlist the material support of england in the interests of despotism and catholicism this political profligacy was responsible for the miseries to which for more than a generation europe was subjected without england louis would not have dared to attack the dutch for the fleets of the republic would have swept his commerce from the seas while the cordial union of the two great naval powers would have stood like a wall against his schemes of aggression had england at this moment possessed a king of lofty temper proud to lead and apt to control the current of national feeling the chapter of bloodshed and desolation which began at dover and ended at utrecht would probably have remained unwritten two treaty with sweden and the princes of the empire louis had now lopped the principal limb from the triple alliance he determined to detach the swedes also for a long while his success seemed doubtful they would be glad they said to see the naval power of the republic crippled but they had no wish to see her ruined to overcome their scruples charles at louis's request sent henry coventry in october sixteen seventy one to support the french ambassador courton between courton and coventry on the one hand and the ambassadors of spain austria brandenburg and the republic on the other a daily diplomatic duel was waged for several months sweden was poor and the more she was courted the higher she pressed her terms this gave a decisive advantage to the longer purse and the clearer purpose of louis on may sixth sixteen seventy two he secured a treaty for three years by which sweden agreed to oppose any princes of the empire who might attack him to send sixteen thousand men into pomerania in order to defend his line of march and to regard any breach of neutrality on the part of dutch garrisons in places belonging to the empire as a declaration of war for this she was to receive one hundred thousand pounds at once and one hundred and fifty thousand pounds a year during the war her jealousy of denmark so great said leon that their dogs would not hunt in company was expressed by the demand that louis should guarantee the present peace between them but that denmark should not enter the alliance except by the mutual consent of france and sweden almost as important to louis were the treaties which in july sixteen seventy one he succeeded in forming at hanover cologne munster and osnabruck by lavish subsidies and the promise of a share in the spoil he secured a free passage for his troops and the right of purchasing stores while similar advantages were to be refused to any forces which might be sent by leopold to the aid of the dutch the elector of brandenburg however who was an ardent protestant and the other princes of his family rejected the proposals of louis three treaty of neutrality with leopold 
in all these cases the diplomacy of louis had been assisted by at least an apparent community of interest it was far different with the negotiations which he had begun early in sixteen sixty eight with the emperor leopold first to restrain him from joining the triple alliance and later to secure his neutrality when france attacked the dutch de gramonville the negotiator of the partition treaty was entrusted with this affair also he was alternately assisted and hindered by the character of leopold and the state of his councils the emperor originally destined for the church had the tastes and bearing of a recluse so irresolute was he that his ministers declared him to be only a statue which people could carry about and put up at their pleasure from week to week he wavered in his plans as the arguments of de gramonville and the pressure of spain and the dutch personal pique the force of old connections the influence of his mother his position as head of the empire and the internal dissensions of his heterogeneous kingdom acted upon his mind from the date of the triple alliance de gramonville carried on single-handed and with inexhaustible skill and temper a daily contest against all the influences adverse to france his plan was to give leopold no rest but by placing before him proposals which followed one another as fast as each was rejected to keep him in a constant state of nervous anxiety incessantly craving audiences which leopold could not refuse or conferring with his ministers whose rivalry he knew well how to foster and utilize he positively bewildered them with the innumerable arguments furnished to him by louis and lyon and by his own astuteness unruffled by any insult and undeterred by any temporary check with absolute confidence both in his master and in himself he was the one stable element in the sea of warring interests by which he was surrounded not until february sixteen seventy however could he claim any important success beyond that of restraining leopold from taking decisive action even then the emperor's promise that he would not enter the triple alliance was but a spoken one he had however expressed himself willing to leave the dutch to their fate provided louis would promise not to attack spain and louis had hastened to cut the ground from under his feet by writing publicly to the pope engaging not to do so for at least a year further progress was now delayed by the masterful action of louis himself charles the fourth the errant duke of lorraine restored to his estates by the peace of the pyrenees had in sixteen sixty two formally handed them over to louis on condition that the princes of lorraine should be recognized as members of the royal family of france he received them again in sixteen sixty three upon giving up marsal the key of the country and admitting the sovereignty of louis to the great road from metz to alsace with a league's breadth of country the whole of its length in august sixteen seventy however louis heard that the duke was intriguing against him with the dutch and the electors of treves and mayence not sorry for the excuse louis declared the treaty dissolved by this act poured troops into lorraine and in a few days had overrun the country this new aggression roused the utmost resentment at vienna not only was lorraine a dependency of the empire but charles the fourth was the brother-in-law of leopold the refusal of louis to attend to all remonstrances the reproaches of the german princes 
and the threats of spain that as he had abandoned his family interests they would abandon him once more turned the emperor's fickle resolution against france louis now directed de gremonville to employ his utmost efforts to secure a written promise of neutrality when the attack on the dutch took place but this in his present mood the emperor refused to give hereupon louis for the first time indulged in threats since leopold reserved to himself the liberty of helping the enemies of france he should claim a similar freedom for himself the effect was immediate for the emperor knew that it would be easy at any moment for louis to stir up war in hungary he therefore promised his neutrality so long as neither the empire nor spain were attacked even then it required the further threat of an immediate abandonment of the negotiations to overcome the dilatoriness of the imperial court it was not until november sixteen seventy one that thoroughly wearied out leopold signed a treaty promising that in case of the expected war he would not interfere provided that the peace of aix-la-chapelle were preserved and thus was completed the circle of negotiations by which louis had during nearly four years been engaged in securing that when he attacked the republic she should look around her in vain for support the ability and firmness with which his purpose had been maintained were as remarkable as that purpose was unscrupulous and base End of section twenty one